Good morning. A very warm welcome to you if you're here in the building with us. It's wonderful to have you with us. Uh, or if you're uh, following along online, uh, please do pop us an email, maybe something that's encouraged you uh, through the service. It would be great to, to connect with you. As we come to worship uh, God this morning, uh, we're continuing in our series in, in Romans, uh, Romans chapter 14, uh, which we're looking at uh, under the heading of Handling Disputable Matters. Because in, in the church sometimes uh, people may disagree about uh, some things, about, about small things, but the most important thing is that we agree on the essential things, the core things, that we really keep the main things the main things. And that in all other things that we would treat each other with, with love, with grace, and with respect. And we see that um, as we seek to live a life of humility. We want to live a humble life um, with the Lord and with one another. And that is most vividly displayed in the life of our Lord Jesus. As he is the one who is the king of heaven, but he did not stay there. But instead came down, humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And that is love in action. Uh, as the innocent one, the righteous one, died for the unrighteous and the guilty ones. And so that when we trust in him, that we might know the love of God, that we would be united together as God's people in the Lord Jesus. And that we would walk in his footsteps, in love, in unity, and in humility. As we seek to do that for his glory. As we come to worship the Lord, let us just pause, take a moment to quieten our hearts and come before the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you that as we come into your presence this morning, that we can lift our eyes and our hearts to you, that we can lay down all the worries, all the anxieties, all the stress that we may have. We can lay them at your feet and lift our eyes to you. And we pray that you would help us, Lord, to worship you in spirit and truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Romans 14, verse 7 and 8 say, For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. I thank you, Lord, that, that all that you have done for us uh, on the cross, that we have been purchased by you, that you have died for our sins that now in the Lord Jesus we belong to you and we thank you Lord that we have been given a new life with new hope you've put a new song in our light in our hearts in our mouths that we might be able to sing your praises that we are yours and you are ours father forgive us for the times for the moments in this past week when that has not been true of our lives when we have not lived for you, but we have lived for ourselves and for our own glory. And we pray, Father, that you would forgive us for the times that we've been argumentative with others, when we have been proud, when we have sought our own way rather than seeking to serve others. We pray that you would forgive us our sins in light of all that you have done for us. And we thank you, Lord, that because of your amazing love in dying on the cross for us that you have forgiven us that we receive nothing but your grace your kindness and your love as you have cast our sins away from us as far as the east is from the west 
that you remember our sins no more. And we thank you, Lord, for that. And Lord, in light of your amazing love and grace towards us, help us to be a people who are generous, a people who are generous in all that we have, in our, in our money, in our time, and on, in the gifts that you have given us, that we would truly give you glory in our lives. And Lord, as we look outward, we do pray, uh, continue to pray for those in authority, for our government. Uh, we pray for uh, Richie Sunak, for the decisions he has to make, and for the, all the members of Parliament, Father. We pray for the Christians in Parliament, Lord, that they would make uh, godly decisions. And we pray, Father, for many members of Parliament, many people in authority, that they would trust in you as their Lord and Saviour, that they would turn to you and know what true wisdom is, know what true justice is in governing uh, correctly. We pray, Lord, uh, for everyone else in authority, for teachers, for those in uh, positions of employment, for those in the home, for everyone, Lord, that you would help them to, to govern and guide uh, others under their care in a loving and gracious way. We pray that you would help us to, to love our neighbours as well as you have loved us, that we would seek to graciously serve others. We pray for those within the church, Lord. We pray that you would help us to, to maintain the unity that you have achieved uh, for us by dying on the cross for our sins. We pray that you would help us to, to walk in humility, in grace, and in love with one another, that we would be slow to speak and quick to listen. We pray for uh, the church members meeting uh, on Thursday too, in that light. We pray, Father, that you would help us to be gracious to one another, that you would help us to be uh, kind and gentle as we work through many challenges together. We pray, Father, for those who are grieving. We pray for, for those who to continue to grieve loved ones over many years as well. May you be their rock and their strength. We pray, Father, for those who are, are struggling in different ways, those who are struggling with, with illnesses, uh, recovering from operations, uh, those who are receiving ongoing treatment for things like cancer, and other illnesses. We pray, Lord, for those who are feeling lonely at this time, that you would draw close to them, that you would be their comfort, that they would know your presence and your love in their life. We pray for those who are going through hard times financially, emotionally, or who are struggling with, with addictions, with depression, with anxiety. And may you draw close to them. May you help them see that you are the God of all goodness and grace. May you be the light in their darkness. We pray too for the, for the work of compassion and we thank you Lord for the, the wonderful work that they do with orphans all over the world and we thank you Lord for many within the church fellowship here who seek to support that work and help young people to have a, a bright future as they not only are served with their physical needs but also spoken to about the love of the Lord Jesus. And Lord, as we come uh, to your word, uh, we pray for, for Martin as he comes to, to read your word. May we be attentive to it. We pray for Sarb as he comes to preach. May you give him clarity, boldness, and freedom as he proclaims the good news of the gospel. May we have hearts to respond to your word with joy and thanksgiving as we see all that you have done for us. And we ask this in the good and precious name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Our reading this morning is from Romans chapter 14, 
And that's on page 114 in the Church Bibles and 1726 in the large print Church Bibles. Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarrelling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not. And the one who does not eat everything does not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own masters, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. One person considers one day more sacred than another, another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone, and none of us dies for ourselves alone. If we live... We live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. So, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. For this very reason, Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It's written, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. I'm convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not, by your eating, destroy someone for whom Christ died. Therefore, do not let what you know is good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and receives human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification, Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it's wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But whoever has doubts 
is condemned if they eat, because their eating is not from faith, and everything that does not come from faith is sin. That's great, Martin. Thanks for reading uh, for us this morning. Uh, Please do keep your Bibles open. It would be a great help for me if you're able to follow along. And before we start, let's just pray. Father, we do thank you so much for the goodness of your word, uh, truths that it contains. Father, help uh, help me as I speak this morning. Help me to speak clearly and help us all uh, to hear you speak to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like this morning to, uh, to start with a question. What would you say is the most delicate and beautiful plant in the world? What is the most delicate and beautiful plant in the whole world? Ten seconds. Please do turn to your neighbor uh, and just ask that question. What is the most delicate and beautiful plant in the world? Okay, time's up. Uh, anybody care to shout out any answers? Uh, Rose? Orchids? Snowdrops. Yeah. And this is sadly a trick question, uh, so do forgive me for that. Uh, I would like to say that the most beautiful and delicate plant in the world is us. Is us. Sorry for those of you in the balcony, Nathan didn't catch you in the shot. Uh, the church is a thing of exquisite beauty because it has joined together such a diverse and varied group of people across all ages, all cultures, all races, all tongues and tribes, irrespective of sex, of education, of class, of wealth, or of ability. People who, but for the love that they have for Christ Jesus, have nothing in common with one another. It's that love that binds this church and all churches together. And it's an exquisitely beautiful gift because it's a gift that God has given to his people inside creation. The church is something that God himself has given to us. And it's so strong that despite all the pressures, all the persecution, over 2,000 years, nothing has been able to get in the way of the church's growth. It's that strong. But the church is also the most delicate of plants because it's made up of broken people, people like me. People who, although we are being made more and more like Christ every day, we're still far from being completely like Christ. And the fear and the pride that used to dominate the way that we used to live before we were Christians, well, that's still at work in our hearts. And the danger is that the pride and the fear in our hearts can become like rot, dry rot in a building. If our heart attitudes are not godly, they can so easily poison, trample, weaken, and tear apart the church from the inside. And it matters. It really matters because 
as disputes tear through a church fellowship, it makes the gospel less plausible to the watching world. And so it's dishonoring to God. And what's particularly striking is that many times that these divisions arise in a body of believers over trivial things, over small things. They may be small, but if they are left unchecked, then they will have the power to destroy a fellowship. So as we look at the text this morning that uh, Martin read for us, I want us to see two things. I want to see us the reason for the quarreling and also the remedy for the quarreling. So firstly, the reason for the quarreling. I wonder, as the reading was, uh, was brought to us this morning, uh, maybe you thought to yourself, crumbs, this is the book of Romans. Just think about the amazing truths that Paul has revealed to us about who God is, his power, his love, his grace, uh, what he has done in our hearts. And here we are in a chapter where we've got Paul talking about people eating vegetables and meat. Oh, it does seem really, really mundane. Why is he bothered to write about it? And he writes about it because there are many things in the Bible that are absolutely clear instructions for us as Christians and absolutely clearly reveal who God is, what he's done, and who we are. But there are lots of areas where the Bible is not prescriptive on exactly what we have to do. Uh, For instance, uh, the Bible doesn't tell us the structure of our church. It doesn't say that it has to be a congregational church, and we are, but there are other forms of church structures that are available. Uh, The Bible is silent on how frequently we should take communion. Uh, The Book of Common Prayer says at least three times a year, other churches, every week. Uh, The Bible doesn't prescribe the fashion of clothing we should wear. It doesn't have a list of jobs that we should take. It's silent on where we should educate our children, private or state. And there are many, many other examples that we could choose. So God has given us here principles that help to shape our thinking. So Paul's using the tension in the church in Rome over the eating of meat and vegetables uh, to reveal that principle on how we should behave when disputes arise over disputable matters. Now, because these disputes over non-essential matters can do such great damage in a church fellowship, and if indeed the church is a beautiful gift from God, we need to be really, really careful with it. So take a look with me at verse 2 to see what's going on in the church in Rome. Paul writes this, One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another, whose faith is weak, eats only vegetables. Now, we're not told precisely why, but there was a group of people in the church who thought it was wrong to eat meat, and another group who disagreed. And in verse 1, Paul says of the dispute, he says this, Except the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. The core of the argument, Paul says, is a matter that is disputable. It's an area where the Bible will allow people to have different views and to live in different ways. There there are no violations of the central tenets of Christian belief. So where there are no clear guidance on trivial matters, uh, matters where Christians have different opinions and can still be Christians, 
what can we do? How should we resolve those tensions? How do we engage and resolve them? So what's the controversy? Uh, Paul's writing to the church in Rome, so he's writing to believers. uh, And it's possible that some of the meat that was available to buy in the market had come from animals that had been used in sacrifices in pagan festivals or in pagan worship. So the animal had been taken, it had been part of a, a service, a pagan idolatrous service. Animal had been killed as part of that service. The carcass was then taken to the market and the meat was being sold. And the question is, can the church eat the meat that's been offered to a pagan God. Paul says in verse 14, take a look with me, he says, I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing in, is unclean in itself. Paul's telling them that there is no food, there is no food that is actually of itself unclean. Okay. So he's saying, with respect to food, we have freedom in Christ. And this circle just reveals the extent of the freedom. All food is not unclean in and of itself, so the circle's pretty big. And we as Christians have the freedom to operate inside that circle. We have freedom in that circle. Now, there are those who are strong in their faith. And for them, uh, they're happy to eat... um, They're happy to eat any meat from anywhere because their conscience is clear. They know that Christ has said all food is clean and therefore they are happy. Their conscience is clean to operate right inside that circle. They're happy to eat the meat that's sacrificed to idols because they know the meat's not unclean of itself. They can give thanks for the meat and ask the Lord's blessing on it and then eat it. They're able to enjoy the meat with a good and clear conscience. What about those who are weak in their faith? Uh, Paul says that there are some who are weak in their faith. The NIV translation here is a little bit unhelpful. Uh, It isn't saying that this is a group of young Christians. It's not saying these are people who are immature in their faith. He's saying rather these are Christians who are maybe mature, but they have a very, very tender conscience. Yeah, And so for this group, uh, they might have believed that buying meat which might have been used in a pagan festival, was tantamount to endorsing or even being implicated in that pagan worship by eating that animal. And so because they couldn't be sure if this meat was in fact used in a service like that, they wanted nothing to do with it. Because they took to heart the call to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul and with all their strength. And they didn't want to do anything that would be dishonoring to God. So they ate only vegetables. Their consciences stopped them eating the meat. So weak and strong together, both groups operate inside what, uh, what, what Christ has said. So the dispute is over a trivial or a disputable matter. But actually... The problem here is not who can eat meat and who can't. That's not what Paul's getting us to. Paul is showing us that the trivial matter reveals the attitude, the heart problem of people inside the fellowship. And their heart attitude had become poisonous. There was a power play. 
there was a power play that was at work going on between those who Paul describes as weak in their faith and those who Paul describes as being strong in their faith. And left unchecked, those heart, those heart attitudes over disputable matters, over trivial things, left unchecked, they would destroy the church. It would, as Paul says in verse 15, destroy the faith of believers. You see, those who are strong in their faith would say, I have the freedom in Christ to eat anything that I want to because I have a clear conscience. And those who are strong in their faith, those who would eat everything, well, they would look down their nose at those with tender consciences. And they would say, how foolish. Don't you know what Christ has said? Don't you know that you're free to eat everything? They'd look down their nose and then they would say, how could they care so little for what God has said? And they slip into legalism. And those who Paul describes as being weak in their faith, well, they would, uh, they would say, how could those people over there care so little for the holiness of God? How could they care so little for what God has said? And they too slip into legalism. Do you see both sides have moved away from the gospel and they have both slipped into legalism? And what looks like a trivial matter now has the power to destroy the fellowship. Uh, Take a look with me at some of the heart attitudes uh, that are at work in the church in Rome. Verse 2, Paul describes the situation as quarreling. The word here, it tries to imply or lift out uh, a sense of trying to prove that your position is right and the other one is wrong. It's a point scoring. It's a sneering at the other. And then in verses uh, 3 and 10, uh, there's the treating of others with contempt. Uh, This is to utterly disdain the other person, to scorn, to ridicule, or to mock them. And standing in judgment, verses 3, 4, 10, and 13, this is a condemning attitude. This is weaponizing scripture to get what you want. Verse 15, there's the distressing of one another. This is a deliberate desire to make somebody else feel sad, uh, cause them sorrow, uh, fill them with grief, desire to cause hurt and outrage. And then in verse 16, uh, speaking of what others are doing as evil. Uh, This is uh, a tone, a language of abuse, of insulting, of cursing. It's, It's not just quiet muttering. This is hurling insults at one another. It's a sorry picture, isn't it? I can just imagine what the church members' meetings at the church in Rome must be like. Feisty affairs. You see, the problem here isn't eating meat or not. The problem here is that there's a desire to grab power and rule over the others. The vegetarians want everyone to do what they're doing. The meat eaters want everyone to do what they're doing is a grab for power and everyone's doing it. And the trivial matter of what is eaten, well, that's just the cloak behind which everyone is hiding. So if that's the problem and that's the cause of the quarreling, what's the way in which those quarrels are quelled? Now, tongue twister there. Now, throughout... The letter, 
uh, Paul's been highlighting to the church in Rome the love of God. That despite humanity's rejection of God, that God has made it possible for us to be made right with him, to become his children. That God settled his love on us and he pursued us at great cost to himself to bring him to himself. A sacrificial love. And the call for us is to follow that same pattern. Take a look with me at Romans 14:19. Paul writes, "Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification." So with disputable matters, the call is simply this, for each one of us to make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification, to pursue peace for us to earnestly strive to do whatever we can to maintain peaceful relations with one another. And this, this is more than just keeping quiet. It's about leaning our hearts towards one another. There's to be nothing in our conduct or in our attitude that looks to offend or to upset one another. Uh, and, and edification here, it's, it, it's more than a word that just means information or education. Uh, it's a word, edification, it, it, it means the building up, the, the erection of a building. So we are called to build one another up in our love and trust of the Lord Jesus, to build one another up in the Christian faith. But why should we do this? Why, why should we do this? Now, Paul gives us... Two reasons uh, in verses uh, 10 through 14. Uh, He tells us that we will all have to give an account before God. He talks of judgment. And that on these disputable matters, that what we should not do is tear down the work of God. Take a look with me at verses 10 through the start of 13. You then, why do you judge your brother or sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Paul's reminding the church in Rome and he's reminding us that each one of us on that last day, that day of judgment, will come before God And we'll have to give an account. Let me say this slowly. Uh, For the believer, for the believer, yet the one who trusts in the saving work of Christ, this is not the judgment of whether God accepts you or not. That's already happened, and that happened when we trusted in Christ's work on the cross, trusting that he paid the price of our rebellion against God. The believer is already accepted and loved by God now. Rather, what Paul's saying here is that God will will, ask each one of us on that day to give an account of how, of how we've lived as his children. How have we lived as his children? Have we used the gift of new life, of the spirit dwelling within us, 
to glorify God? Have we used uh, the gifts that he's given us and lived as his children and loved the people that God has placed us with? Or have we used our time as a child of God to tear down the work that God's been doing? Have we been judgmental and contemptuous of other Christians in the fellowship and destroyed the peace and demolished the work of God? God's given us the gift of his church. It's a gift that has been bought and presented to us through the death of God's only son. God purchased this gift with his blood. How could we let our petty rivalries, our rights, our desire for power and influence destroy such a precious gift? So the charge is very serious. And the call is very clear in verse 13. Let us stop passing judgment on one another. And secondly, uh, Paul says that we have our conscience as a guide. And we're to take our conscience and the conscience of others very seriously. Take a look with me at verse 14. It says, I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord, in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. Paul reinforces what Jesus has said, that no food is unclean in and of itself. But, but, if someone's conscience tells her that it is, then for her, it is unclean. And God has given each one of us a conscience and an alarm system that tells us that we're about to do, or we are doing, or we did do, something that would displease our Heavenly Father. And if you're convinced, as you have studied, and as you have prayed, and as you have sought good teaching, that a line of action would displease God, then for you, it will displease God. You should listen to your conscience. If your sister or brother is convinced through study, prayer, and sound teaching that being a vegetarian is the best way to honor God as someone who eats everything, you cannot reject their position. And it works either way too. As a vegetarian, you can't reject the conscience of your meat-eating sister or brother who through study, prayer, and sound teaching has a settled conscience that allows her to eat meat. It works both ways. But, but, but there's more. There's more. It is not just about being tolerant. Although that is a good thing with disputable matters. It, it's more. Take a look with me at verses uh, 20, uh, back end of 20 and 21. Paul writes, Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean. But it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. See, this is a call for us to incline our heart, isn't it, towards those with whom we disagree on disputable matters. This is a call for us to love sacrificially our brothers and sisters in the fellowship. It's a call for us 
to give up our rights so that we do nothing to cause our brother or sister to stumble, to do everything we can to prevent disputable matters undermining the unity of the fellowship that God's son died to create. If we're doing something that causes our fellow believer to stumble, stop doing it. Even if our conscience, the sound teaching we've had, our prayer and study tells us that it's allowed, we should surrender our rights for the work that God is doing in our brother and sister. It will maintain the peace and it will edify God's building, the church. Let's ground this in a hypothetical, disputable matter. When we gather on a Sunday, how should we dress? When we gather on a Sunday, how should we dress? Yeah. Now, Scripture does not prescribe exactly how we should dress when we gather on a Sunday morning. Some of us, I can see, dress incredibly smartly. Others of us dress a little bit more casually. Uh, those of us that dress smartly uh, do so as we're coming to worship the one true, living, glorious, and utterly holy God. And we dress smartly to come before him in the best possible way that we can. Because we believe that honors him and it pleases him. Now, others of us may think that God allows us uh, to dress more casually. And we are convinced that dressing casually does not affect the attitude of my heart as I come before the Lord. And I may want to exercise the freedom that I have to dress however makes me feel comfortable. A disputable matter. What is the right way to dress as we gather together? Now let's assume that there was a raging dispute uh, in our church over this issue. Yeah. We had quarrelling, we had contempt, we had judgment, and we were speaking evil of one another. How should we behave? With disputable matters, the test is this. What is the exercising of your rights and freedoms doing to your brother and sister? What is the exercising of your rights doing to your brother and and sister in Christ. If those of us that dress really casually saw the distress in our more smartly dressed brothers and sisters in love for the sake of peace and edification, we would consider surrendering the rights to dress casually and we would wear smarter attire. And likewise, our more smartly dressed brothers and sisters seeing that our smart attire was causing genuine anxiety and pain and suffering in our more casually dressed brothers and sisters, well, we would surrender our rights to dress smartly so that we were not a stumbling block to our brothers and sisters. So the principle with disputable matters is for us to surrender our rights for the benefit of others. We display not tolerance, which is letting other people do what they want as long as they allow me to do what I want, but we surrender our rights because as we do that, we are revealing the gospel to the watching world. We're revealing a heart that is inclined towards our brothers and sisters and seeks for peace 
and mutual edification, making every effort, every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. And as we do that, we're glorifying God. It's worth reflecting in our hearts, isn't it? And asking ourselves that question, you know, where, where are we grumbling? Uh, we may be in open conflict or uh, just quietly grumbling with others in our fellowship over disputable matters. Where in our behavior and attitudes are we riding roughshod over someone for whom Christ died? The key for us when there are disputable matters, things not central to the faith, is to have verse 19 in our minds. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Where do we get the power? Where do we get the power to surrender our rights for our brothers and sisters in the fellowship with whom we have disagreements about disputable matters? Well, we look to the one who had all the power in the universe. The one who had the right to be offended at what we'd done. The true king of kings. He surrendered his power, his privileges, his rights. And he came to earth, didn't he? And he lived the life that we should have lived. And then he died the death that we deserve in our place. His death. So that for us, by trusting in Christ, we can have eternal life. And if we're prepared to just dwell on that truth, on that gospel truth, allow that truth to set our hearts on fire, to see the one who is worthy laying down all things for us, then we'll have the power and the strength to make every effort not to tear down what God is building and to do that which leads to peace and to mutual edification and to do that with joy. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do uh, thank you so much for uh, the gift of your church. I thank you for this reminder of uh, the incredible cost of your church. Thank you that uh, you draw us uh, together as a fellowship of believers. Uh, Father, help, help us as we dwell upon your word, as we dwell upon who the Lord Jesus is, what he has done for us, and what that means. Help us to have the right perspective over disputable matters. Uh, help us uh, to earnestly strive for peace and for mutual edification. Help us to do that joyfully. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.